0: Log Talk Radio Welcome to Last First Date Radio featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating and mating in midlife and now here's your host Sandy
1: Weiner Hello, everybody. This is Sandy, and I am the founder and chief love officer at LastFirstDate.com. I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. Last First Date Radio is an acclaimed show about achieving healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. So whether you're single or married or in a long-term relationship, this show has something for everybody, and in particular, today's show is very relevant to anyone at any stage of life. I am thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Arthur C. Air Amicoli about using empathy and cognitive behavioral therapy as a way to reduce anxiety and develop resilience. And, boy, we have a lot of stress in our lives today, and I'm really, really excited to have him on the show. I love his book, Distress Solution, um, so he'll be coming in, up in just a few minutes. And as a dating coach, I specialize in helping women date as the high-value women that they are in every other part of their lives, because I believe that when a woman knows her true worth, she attracts her most aligned partner. And most women who come to me for support are amazing in every other part of their lives, but they have challenges in the romance Section of their lives, and and my goal is to have them date um, with the same value that they bring to the other parts of their lives. And often we make mistakes that we're not even aware of. So what I've done is compiled a list of what the top three mistakes are, and I've created a free guide for you so that you can uncover the mistakes that you may be unknowingly making, and you'll be able to turn them around with actionable steps. So you can grab that free report by going to lastfirstdate.com, and you can sign up right on my homepage. I also want to invite you to my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. So just go to Facebook.com forward slash Your Last First Date and you can apply to get into the group. There's no cost to apply, I just have to approve you. And it's a place to come for support that is positive, healthy, and um, forward moving instead of whining and being stuck, which happens without. Um, the right kind of support, because I want you to go on your last first date. Proud to be sponsored by Audible. Um, if you would like a copy of a, an, audible, uh, an Audible book, um, an Audible book on tape, um, and a free month of Audible, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, and you can choose from over 200,000 titles. And now for my special guest. Arthur Sierra, my colleague, is the he's a he's a PhD and EDD. He is the author of the Stress Solution using empathy and cognitive behavioral therapy to reduce anxiety and develop resilience. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and he's the chief medical officer of SoundMinds.org, a popular mental health platform. He's been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and chief psychologist of Metro West Medical Center. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Sandy. How are you?
1: I am great. I'm really excited to have you on today. Well, thank you Talking about much. stress and stress management and especially empathy and... What's interesting is that, at the end of my marriage i um one of the biggest issues for me in my marriage was that my husband was really not good at expressing emotion and and dealing mm-hmm. with any kind of conflict um It's a pretty common issue right yeah. um and at the end of our marriage, he started to learn how to be empathic he He started mm-hmm. studying with um Marshall Rosenberg and learned nonviolent communication. And it really was the gift of our divorce um, that he started to transform a little bit and we were able to end our relationship in a much more peaceful way than we would have had he not had this education. So Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in the importance of empathy and communication. And um, what I really want to know is what is empathic CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy and how does it contribute to our better mental and physical health?
0: Well, cognitive behavioral therapy, Sandy, basically focuses on the way we distort how we perceive. And how we perceive is critical to maintaining intimacy and forming you know, lasting, very positive relationships, because if we perceive in distorted ways, We drive our partners crazy and we also may have distortions about ourselves. So cognitive behavioral therapy basically focuses on present perceiving and it focuses on the kind of distortions that we can use that really disturb healthy relating like generalizing or black-and-white thinking or catastrophizing, mind-reading, magnifying, all ways that we don't really see the truth of our partner or our friend and look beyond the surface and see into the heart and soul of another human being and that's where empathy comes in because empathy really is the one capacity that allows us to slow down and perceive the truth in other people and in interactions and it really helps us understand where our biases are so when you combine empathy with cognitive behavioral therapy I think you have the best of both worlds because it allows us to learn how to perceive and see the truth in others and in ourselves more and more so. And when we become comfortable with perceiving the truth, and that's what empathy allows us to do, it also helps us to know who to get close to and who to remain distant from, because empathy basically is everyday mind reading. You know, it's the, our, it's the capacity that we're born with, and we have to develop it as we age so that we can utilize it to its full, full extent.
1: Hmm. Yeah, we often perceive incorrectly, and I teach communication to my clients, um, especially for women to understand men better, because we tend to look at everything through a very narrow lens, through rose-colored glasses, through projection. Um, I just got off the phone with somebody today who dated somebody in a very intense way in a very short period of time, and he disappeared. She thought the relationship was going really well, and now that she's got some distance, she's saying, you know, I was really hungry for this to happen. I really wanted this so badly that maybe I was projecting, um, which often happens, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when we're longing, and I always try to teach my clients, understand and know your longings because... When you're longing for love, or you just have gone through a rejection or a divorce or a very disappointing experience with someone, we don't really see very clearly. Our, our empathic range becomes very narrow. And when our empathic range comes very narrow, we only see what we want to see. We fill in a lot of the spaces. And when we get involved you know, romantically and sexually early on with someone, I always say that sex can be binding and blinding. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it can, when, you, when you have that physical connection with someone, it can make you feel like you know them when you hardly know them at all. It takes time to know another person, and empathy slows down our interactions so that we can see clearly. When we have strong longings for love, however, it's hard to do that. But if we're aware of them, at least we can put them aside for a moment and try to focus a bit on what's happening so we can learn about that other person. Who is this person? And, and just as, as, as accepting that nobody knows anybody that quickly if it's happening quickly and you think you know the whole story, uh, most likely you're mistaken. You may be right in the long run, but you could be wrong
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's important to slow down to balance the heart and the head to to really not let your body get bonded um, because you become pretty. St- stupid. <laughs> um, yeah. You just can't think clearly. Like, what did you say? Bonding, blind, blinding and bonding. It's binding what and was... blinding. Yeah, it's an early that's a good
0: one. Of binding and blinding because you know the, the, they, it gets recorded in the deep emotional part of the brain and it makes us think we know the person, especially the physical contact. And when you're longing for love, you can obviously mistake, men and women mistake physical contact for love. It's not love, mm-hmm. necessarily. It could be love, but it isn't necessarily.
1: So if somebody comes on really strong, this is, this has happened to me quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. where a person comes on super strong right away, I don't trust it. I, I feel like they're not really seeing me. This actually happened in my marriage. Um, when I met my husband, he was like, you're it, you know? And I was yeah. just not trusting it, but I also had kind of given up on love, and so... I went along with the with the program. Um yes. now that I know better I do better. But but what do you what do you do if somebody does come on really strong and you try to slow them down and they get annoyed with you? I mean, any any tools that you can share to help somebody slow down a bit?
0: Well, I think you you try to give initially the person the benefit of the doubt because when we don't know each other people are generally anxious, that's quite natural. So someone may be coming on strong initially but it's when you make an empathic, tactful comment that you can then understand a person's character. For instance, if I say to you, you know, I'm, I'm very complimented by the way you're, you're interacting with me and how complimentary you are, but it's making me a little uncomfortable because you don't really know me very well. Now, if you get angry when I say that, that's a bad sign. If you say, mm-hmm. gee, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I just went through a divorce and it was horrible and, uh, you know, maybe I'm kind of Uh, new at this and I haven't dated in 20 years and I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm uncomfortable and maybe I've said a little bit too much, then that's a very good sign because now the person Mm -hmm. is saying, I will take your cue, I will respect that I was a little bit intrusive and made you feel uncomfortable and I'm going to step back and now we can gain our bearings and get to know each other. But if the person doesn't accept that, now you should be using your empathy to start to distance yourself to start to deinvest because that's a person that is not listening, and that's a person who's not necessarily going to respect you. And I think you mm-hmm. have to differentiate between, is this early on anxiety because the person's just uncomfortable, or is this the person's character? This is how they are
1: all the time. Right, and separate the two. and Yes, assess. you have
0: to separate the two. And, mm-hmm. and empathy allows you to assess accurately, because when, we, when we're using empathy, and when you're, having, when you're giving and receiving empathy, we produce oxytocin, you know, that, that love hormone, the hormone that you produce when, when you're pregnant, a woman is pregnant. But you can produce in it an empathic interchange. And when that happens, when you're deeply listening to another person and they are to you, you, you automatically feel comfortable. And it reduces anxiety and it actually reduces cortisol levels, the stress hormone. It and oxytocin really gives you a sense of calm and well-being, so you naturally wanna be closer to that person. It also reduces cravings for addictive substances, it makes people live longer, it has many, many benefits. But this is, this is really an amazing chemical change that takes place just by how we talk to each other and how we listen to each other. And if you trust yourself enough to slow down, you'll feel it inside your body, you'll know it, because you'll know that this person is not just looking at you as an image or for some status or ego concern. They're really, really trying to get to know you, and, and you're trying to get to know the other person as well.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really true. I, I didn't realize that you released the same oxytocin hormones in yes, empathy you as you do. Yeah, bonding yeah. in sex and bonding with a newborn. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. So, so let's define empathy now that we've been talking about it. Um, how do you define empathy? Well, empathy
0: is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another it 's essentially everyday mind reading it's a part of our genetic endowment it 's not an emotion or a feeling but it's it's a part of it 's a capacity that we develop as we as we age if we're exposed to people who have helped us know how to do that you know it it's it's sort of like a muscle that if it's not used, it will atrophy. And it's, it's very interesting that you see in young children, like our, our, our youngest daughter is a kindergarten teacher, and she will tell you that boys and girls are pretty much very empathic with each other, almost in gender, you don't see a lot of difference in gender, you don't see a lot of difference in culture. But as they grow up, as they're in the third, fourth, fifth grade, you start to see differences. The boys withhold their empathy, and girls... Um, I still tend to be very interactive and empathic, but you start to see a difference in terms of bias and prejudice. You know, prejudice is a way of misperceiving because people start to learn your last name, or you're from India, or I'm from China, or somebody else is from England. Uh, You know, we live in an international world today, so kids don't don't screen out that they just love the person for who they are and how how you're interacting with them. But as we get older, we take on the values and the perceptions and probably biases and misperceptions of our families, and that tends mm-hmm. to distort how we relate. But empathy basically is looking beyond the surface, looking beyond the surface into the heart and soul of another human being so we can see who they are. It's not. It's sort of like... Uh, You know, when you buy a novel because you like the cover of the book and because it has a beautiful picture of the ocean, but then you get home and you read it and you find that the writing is not very good and it's not a very good story. So this is looking beyond the surface and training yourself to look beyond the surface.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And this is a huge problem in dating where people have these notions of, number one, what their type is, number two, um who they should be with in terms of um the attraction factors so mm-hmm. you know that that beautiful book cover is similar to that a woman who told me at age 70 or 75 that she only would date men with a full head of hair uh, you know these are these are things that actually prevent you from connecting to a person because yeah. you're not really seeing a person you're seeing a head of hair and in the end those things don't matter as much as the heart of a person, the, the character of a person. Absolutely. Um, but we're not trained to do that. And we're trained to keep ourselves safe from letting everybody in. So I think that that becomes a fear and religion separates people, color can separate people, um, so many things that we're fed that's a long that's a that's a big <laughs> other discussion um but I, I think you know i i grew up as an orthodox jew and it's um you know we were we were told certain things that i don't agree with anymore and mm-hmm. um and that can be threatening to people who still do so yes yes you know it's it's it, it's a difficult thing i have it within my own family i have three children and and they all uh, worship differently and feel differently about god or lack thereof and um, one of the biggest challenges for me was to listen to my son, who decided that he did not believe in God anymore, and to mm-hmm. really be present with him and hear mm-hmm. what was alive for him. Um, that took a tremendous amount of empathy. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're, we're so close because of it. Because I never pushed mm-hmm. him away because of my fears, I, I let him in. Um, and so that's hard for a lot of people. It took it took a lot of work on my part, but, but I think a that.
0: Different... I'm ahead. sorry. You go ahead. No, what I'm just thinking. What a different world it would be if parents did that, wouldn't it be?
1: It would be amazing. And we're we're often it's I see so much of parenting is about trying to raise clones of yourself. Um, really wanting to push somebody into a box that feels good to you as a parent. Yes. Um, yes. And I I have a friend who is from India, and she was talking to me last night about how she met her boyfriend who became her husband and how in India you were raised pretty much to become an engineer or somebody in the medical profession. Everything else is a hobby. Um, and and your parents basically set you up to, you don't marry for love, you marry because your parents told you to marry this person. And she went out of both of those norms and um, found a guy who was totally out of her caste level, um, came from a different state in India, spoke a different language, and it took a while for the parents to really see eye to eye on this. Um, It takes courage to to do that, Um, but they have a wonderful relationship. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting, this this prejudice. So let's talk a little more about prejudice and how, how does prejudice contribute to stress and what can we do about it?
0: Well, well what, when we have prejudices, and, and oftentimes people don't realize what prejudices they have, but whenever we encounter someone who we have an inherent prejudice against, whether conscious or unconscious, we begin to experience a degree of stress. We're tense. We're not comfortable. And when we're stressed, we release the stress hormone cortisol, which as I mentioned earlier, limits the capacity for empathy while also causing repetitive negative thinking. And if you have prejudice against several types of people, it's likely that your cortisol levels will be consistently high. And in addition to causing negative thinking, cortisol also causes weight gain, inflammation, hair loss, breaks down muscle tissue, causes flabbiness, depression, anxiety, and most importantly, memory loss. It actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. So it's a very dangerous neurochemical when it's secreted with consistency, and that's what happens when we have prejudices against other people.
1: Hmm. That's pretty, pretty massive, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the results of releasing those cortisol, the, the high cortisol um, well,
0: you know, if you're sitting on a bus or in a plane or next to someone that, that, that doesn't look like you and you automatically start assuming things, you're tense, right? You just don't feel comfortable. And, you, mm-hmm. and people don't realize that in that moment you're secreting cortisol and you're yeah. really hurting yourself physiologically. And most importantly, cortisol limits empathy. Stress limits empathy. So our empathic range, like a wide-lens camera, comes into a very narrow look at the other person. And then we start generalizing. Oh, she's from India, she's from China, she's Jewish, she's Christian. And as you were saying in terms of your example with your son, rather than assuming, what what I'm trying to teach in this book is listen. That's why I have a a chapter on empathic listening. Actually listen to find out who this person is. Because in the end, I'm absolutely convinced that we, we, we all have much more in common than we have differences. But we have to see beyond the surface to find that common place.
1: I so agree I mean that's that was the basis of nonviolent communication when Marshall Rosenberg came into war zones and found commonalities. He found that people had the same needs, they had common needs yeah. and common feelings, and when we can connect in that way then then we know that we have much more in common than we have differences and I think it's true of dating in general that we tend to project and to assume way too much and not ask enough questions and not clarify and so so when somebody's got a knee-jerk reaction how can they how can they work on it so you're talking about empathic listening is that is that the main key
0: well empathic listening really you know sort of teaches us to slow down so and when we slow down we slow down the influence of the primitive brain that you 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 referred to earlier and then we use the thinking brain to perceive so that we can perceive more accurately and, and really dispel old biased thinking based on early conditioning. Because that distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. So when we use empathy, we try to slow down. We try to ask open-ended questions, not closed-ended questions. Ask questions where we're really trying to get to know, generally trying to get to know the other person. So that we're not assuming anything. We, you know, don't go into a situation where you look at someone and, you know, he's handsome or she's pretty or she's of my faith or she's from the same part of the country. You know, you can assume a lot of things that are incorrect immediately, but you think based on the exterior or based on the resume that you're safe. Sometimes people, you know, when I was at Harvard, people would come in and I'd say, well, how did you hear about me? And they'd say, oh, well, I heard you're at Harvard. And I'd say, is that why you decided to come and see me? Well, yeah. And i said, did you know Timothy Leary was at Harvard? You know, and he was giving out acid <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, did you know eight out of ten <laughs> psychiatrists at Harvard were lost their license four years ago because of uh, indiscriminate behavior with patients? And he goes, why are you telling me this? I said, I'm telling you <laughs> this because you shouldn't be choosing me because of something on a resume. You, you have to yep. make up your mind after we meet whether you want to continue. And I'll mm-hmm. make up my mind, too. But that's not going to help you looking at a resume. I'm trying to teach something about idealizing on the surface. It might mean something. It might mean nothing right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, there's a big tendency to Google people like crazy before we meet, especially in the dating world. And I have a problem with that. Um, I think that if you have a really bad feeling about somebody and you want to check it out on Google, go right ahead. I have found out that somebody was an ex-convict and went to jail for embezzlement. And that's good information to know. But I don't want somebody coming in to a date with me and knowing that I'm a dating coach and I've written these articles and I've done this, t- you know, and they're watching everything I've ever produced. And I've had people like that. I want yeah, them yeah. to see me, um, yes. n- not my resume, not not what I've created. But, you know, when you're in a relationship also, you're not going to be exactly the same as you are in your work life. And so you want somebody to get to know who you are today, <laughs> Not six months ago, not yes. when you first got married, not when, you know, um, you know. And knowing that people have the capacity to change, I think, is also really important. People tend to ask these questions in dating, like, "Who initiated the divorce?" It's irrelevant to me. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think that's an important question.
0: Yeah. The the only question I ask people when you're talking about you know because I, I certainly have a lot of clients and I've been doing three group sessions for over 25 years so usually 60 to 70 percent of 70 percent of the group have been divorced and we talk about meeting other people and of course we talk about Match.com and JDates Dates and all the all of the others and. Mm-hmm. When I, when I hear people talk about divorce, I say, you know, so he asked you about what, what caused your divorce. And you said, well, there's some things that I've, I did and there's some things that he did and our personalities didn't match and so forth and so on. I said, what was his answer? Oh, he told me all about what his wife did. And I said, mm-hmm. well, that didn't raise a flag. Did he tell you anything yeah. about himself? <laughs> no, mm-hmm. it was all about her. I said, not good, not good. Yes. Not a good not time. Not good. I mean Blame you know this, is bad this, no, yeah no innocent party, so blaming is one of the worst one of the worst characteristics in a relationship, and if you're encountering somebody who's telling you about their terrible husband or their terrible wife and they and they were lily clean and didn't do anything and you wouldn't believe my bad mm-hmm. luck in ending up with this person you you better start running
1: yep, yep, I so agree with you, and I've asked the question what's what's the most important thing that you've learned since your divorce Hmm. you know what have you learned about right and so some people are like "Um, nothing (laughs) okay well uh, maybe we will never see each other again Um, so yeah no I I, that's the only thing that's important to me really is have you learned have you learned about yourself have you learned what to do better next time Um, you know it's there's so much that we can learn in life um, okay, so let's talk about empathy and sympathy. I know Brene Brown did a beautiful video. Have you seen that one on the uh, difference between I, heard, empathy and sympathy? I, I have
0: not seen it. I know people have mentioned it to me, but I have not got to see it, no.
1: Yeah, it's it's important because I think, you know, having gone through some crisis in my life, when people give sympathy and not empathy, it mm-hmm. it feels awful. Um, yes. So, yes. So if you can explain the difference between the two and why it matters.
0: Okay. Well, let let me give you an example of a client last week where my client, dad, passed away about a year ago, and she was devastated. They were very, very close, and he had a fatal heart attack and died. She, She moved into a new neighborhood in our area here in Massachusetts, and she heard about a neighbor that she does not know very well, but she heard that her dad passed just a few days ago. So she put together a flower arrangement and she put t- together a basket of food and she walked over and rang the doorbell. And when the woman, her neighbor, answered the doorbell, she said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear about your father. You must be devastated. I was so devastated when my dad passed a year ago. And she went on and on saying, I'm, I'm so sorry about how you must be feeling. And the woman looked at her and said, um, my dad left us when we were two years when I was two years old. I, I never saw my father after that. I have no memory of him. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't recognize him if he was walking down the street. So, I thank you for for bringing this over the food and the flowers. But, I'm not devastated at all. So mm-hmm. you see, imp- sympathy rushes in. Sympathy rushes in to console based on identifying from our own experience. Empathy holds back and waits till you ascertain the facts. See this woman and she's a very good-hearted person. So she walked down there and she was doing something that she thought was very giving, but in fact, she didn't connect with that woman because they were in totally different places. Empathy takes its time to uh, ascertain objective facts. It's fact-oriented, it's truth-oriented. So it doesn't assume anything. She was assuming based on her experience that your experience might be ju- must be the same, but of course it wasn't. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember visiting someone who lost a child, and I had lost a child as well. And so somebody came up to me and said, wow, you know exactly what they're feeling. And I said, I actually don't know what they're feeling because I'm not them. you know." And that's
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: the yeah. truth. And what? we can't project onto others. We might be able to understand the feeling of losing a child, yeah. but it's not the same for me as it is for her. And I think that yeah. we have to remember that. And so, so curiosity, no, no assumptions, ask open-ended questions, learn to listen empathically. Um, those are some really important keys that we spoke about today. Um, any, any parting thoughts as we, as we close?
0: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm very sorry that you lost a child. I, I, that, that, that was hard to hear. I'm sorry that you experienced that. And,
1: oh, thank you. Um,
0: just I think you know the book is a workbook there there's exercises at the end of every chapter that really encourage you to expand your empathic range and when you do i I'm absolutely a believer that empathy is the most important capacity to develop for a successful personal and professional life so I'm hoping people will use that opportunity and and if you do get the book, don't read it quickly i Please, read it slowly. Read a chapter every few days and take, do the exercises, do the journaling. And, and I think it will really potentially allow you to see yourself and others much more accurately.
1: I love it. And so how can people find the book?
0: Well, the book is on Amazon. You can go to the Amazon website, amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com, or you can go to my publisher, newworldlibrary.com. It's, uh, actually, it's on sale on Amazon this week right now.
1: All right. Well, and thank you so much for coming. And my
0: website is You can read about it there too.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Arthur. This was a really valuable time, and I wish we had more time to to go even deeper because this is such an important topic.
0: Well, I <clears> really <throat> enjoyed talking with you, Sandy. You you ask great questions, and I and I and I can tell that you understand what we're talking about. So hopefully, we'll talk yeah. again in the future.
1: All right, thank you. You're and welcome. thank you all for listening today and I hope you all go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye.